to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Welcome. My name is Rick Pashkin, and I am content guy for the business law section and welcome you to the ABA's business law section podcast program to the extent that and today's series entitled selected lessons from the director's handbook situations commonly encountered in the boardroom and today's episode sustainability a corporate imperative. Our host today is Frank Placenti. Frank is a partner and leader of the U.S. corporate governance practice of Squire Patent Boggs. He is currently the chair of the Business Law Section's Corporate Governance Committee, and he is the editor of the Business Law Section book, Director's Handbook, a field guide to 101 situations commonly encountered in the boardroom. Frank was also founding president of the American College of Governance Council. Frank? Thank you, Rick, and thanks to all of you for joining us here today. We have uh, a couple of very um, experienced and uh, knowledgeable contributors today to talk about a topic that's much in the news and much on the lips of corporate board members these days, and that is the topic of sustainability. Um, our first guest today is John Stout. John is actually a former chair of the ABA Governance Committee and was a contributor to the director's handbook that Rick mentioned. Uh, John co-chairs Frederick and Byronson's Corporate Governance and Corporate Sustainability and Social Responsibility Groups. John, you set the record for longest title in this podcast series. He also chairs the firm's working group on artificial intelligence. He's a member of the firm's corporate securities, mergers, and acquisitions international groups, and he advises executives, board, and board committees on a variety of governance issues. John's an adjunct professor teaching a governance course at the University of St. Thomas Law School in Minneapolis and frequently writes and speaks on governance subjects. Uh, He's a fellow of the American Bar Association and of the American College of Governance Council. He's joined today by one of his colleagues, uh, Deborah Walker Cool. Uh, Debbie is a senior associate at uh, Fredrickson and Byron. Uh, she assists in corporate and uh, business clients with a variety of matters, including business accommodations and the formina- formation of new ener- entities, uh, and with respect to their initiatives in the corporate governance and social enterprise areas. She's the co-chair of the ABA's uh, corporate uh, social responsibility subcommittee on the implementation of the ABA model principles on labor trafficking and child labor. Uh, She interned with Judge uh, Matthew E. Johnson while attending the University of St. Thomas Law School. Uh, And before attending school, she was a director of a nonprofit uh, firm in India that worked to secure victims, uh, rescue victims of sexual trafficking. Um, She received her bachelor's of law from the University of College of Dublin, Ireland. So we have two very interesting uh, panelists today with varied backgrounds. And with your uh, permission, I'm just going to jump in. So, uh, John, um, 
I guess we're going to start at the beginning. Uh, what is your definition of sustainability? It's sometimes used interchangeably with terms like co corporate social responsibility or corporate purpose. Uh, what is sustainability and how do all of those terms differ? Well, Frank, uh, first of all, sustainability once upon a time had primarily an environmental focus. So, you know, you could go back to books like Ration, Racial Carson's Silent Spring, Impact of uh, Pesticides, and you could go back to Natural Foods and the processing of food. The, the subject is, it has a long history and also fairly significant roots. And there's often a debate about whether, you know, sustainability comes first or ESG, environmental, social, and governance, or CSR. And I think there's a relationship between all of these terms. To be a really sustainable enterprise these days, one could say you've got to pay attention to the environment. You've got to produce and be aware of your social impact. And you have to have a strong government's system in your organization. And then when you get to corporate social responsibility, which is, I think, particularly illuminated by the current social justice issues and corporations doing the right thing and how corporations are responding to that, you'll see that they're all part of what I think of as a sustainability continuum. And ESG and CSR, interestingly, meet on the S, right? Because ESG, the S is social, and in CSR, the S is social. And certainly some of the investors these days, I think of Larry Fink in particular, who has said in one of his letters what he expects of the CEOs of the 6,000 or so companies that BlackRock owns shares in. He expects corporate purpose. He expects social impact. There's your S in all three of them, sustainability, ESG, and CSR, and he, and he expects long-term value creation. So I think they're very much linked, although they have, you know, somewhat different emphases as is reflected in the ESG and CSR letters for those two in particular activities and concerns. Debbie, uh, what are your thoughts? You know, I think um, what's interesting about ESG at this point, which seems is a bit more the newcomer, I think um, it's, it's more specific in a way it stands for environmental, social and governance. And so with the sustainability, CSR and a number of these terms that are bantered around, it can be sometimes hard to know exactly what they're pointing at within an organization whether it's about the organization sustaining, your workforce sustaining, the earth sustaining, or just giving some of your profits away. Whereas with ESG, it, uh, it is environmental social governance. And you can all, the, um, it's, it's so specific that there's, there can be a bit more accountability to it. Lately, I've been uh, hearing a different abbreviation. 
which is EESG, with the additional E uh, referencing employee interests, um, human capital, uh, treatment of employees, et cetera. Uh, have you seen that as well? And, and how do you think that alters the equation? I haven't uh, seen it. You can jump in, John. But I, um, I think that is helpful, although I think the S can also take care of that if you're talking about, I think with the social, you are talking about people. And so that can be people as in your supply chain, or it can be people um, as in your direct employees, I think. But I, I don't, I certainly don't think it hurts included. Have you seen it, John? Sure, I, I think uh, you're right on that part of it, Debbie, but I think you also see it in corporate social responsibility, the, the how one, how a company treats its employees and what kind of benefits it provides, what kind of a work environment it provides. And it goes on to the task force, which you were very much a part of, which dealt with these uh, supply chain issues of forced labor mm -hmm. and uh, human trafficking, child labor, those kinds of issues, which mm -hmm. are, you know, very much a part of the S in ESG and the S in CSR. You know, when I think of the term sustainability, John, and the evolution that you spoke of uh, from its roots in a purely environmental context, uh, I think it uh, does now include broader concepts, doesn't it, about uh, whether the way in which the company does business uh, builds long-term um, uh, support among its customers, long-term ability to recruit the employees and human capital that it needs, has that now been very much incorporated into uh, the sustain and sustainability? Deb, do you want to do you want to start out on that? I think you've given, in some ways, more thought to that. But uh, and then I'll comment. <laughs> yeah, I can jump in there, John. I think that um, that's where you get to the concept of business sustainability. In that, I think sustainability did largely refer in some way to all these other factors that didn't have much to do with the bottom line. Um, whereas now business sustainability is very much um, having a clear focused purpose in your organization with, with that focus on long-term long value creation. Also with um, your social impact, your environmental impact, et cetera, all, all being wrapped into that one concept. It is a bit more um, specific. In that way, I think it also, um, with business sustainability, it um, whereas before on some level you were kind of trying to convince businesses to do good and help other factors sustain, at this point, business sustainability is very much like you're looking at your factors in your business and seeing both how you're impacting the world around you, but also how your business is going to continue to create that um, like long-term value while being able to sustain the resources it needs, the supply chains it needs, keeping a healthy workforce, um, all those things. Um, yeah. So in a way it is more broad now than just that kind of more environmental general idea of sustainability. Debbie, I think it's also factors into the purpose debate now. I mean, the, the issue of corporate purpose extending beyond the incorporation for general business purposes, which 
is permitted in, in most of the states and doesn't require the corporation to state a particular purpose. I think the focus of investors in some ways is on purpose now and a stronger, more focused declaration of purpose. And, and you know, the purpose debate has been going on for a long time. One of the CEO business leaders in Minneapolis wrote a paper about 20 years ago on purpose and how much we can expect of the corporations to assume the, the you know, extended benefit programs, extended leave programs, compensation level that's, that's uh, maybe ro- more sustainable for people in society. And, and the paper was about how much can we load on to corporations and what are the other parties in our society that really should pick up some of those burdens? I think that discussion of purpose continues today. And it's interesting to me that along these lines, in the last, I don't know, you've been more into this in some ways than I have, Debbie, but let's say in the last 10 years, there's the rise of the benefit corporation, where the requirement to state a specific public benefit is very much what that relatively new corporate form is about. So it's been a long discussion, and I don't think it's going to go away. I think we'll continue to debate those issues. But the rise of the benefit corporation is interesting in terms of how society is reacting to that purpose discussion. You know, John, I spoke once with one of the members of the um, uh, group that is putting together the principles for corporate uh, for sustainability. Uh, and I posed the following question. In many ways, isn't this really old wine and new bottles? Isn't it true that uh, the best companies um, have always run themselves with a long-term sustainable interests in mind? And that we really, in a way, maybe have just gotten off on a detour in the 1980s with the whole discussion of shareholder primacy um, that was in many ways an outgrowth of the takeover uh, craze. Uh, isn't this really kind of a return to the way uh, great companies have always been run? Um, Frank, because, you know, the way companies were run in the late 1800s, the 20s and 30s gave rise to the labor movement and the tensions, which sometimes still exist between labor and management. So I don't don't know if it's a real shift, but I, I also don't think of it as so much old wine in a new bottle. The debates have been going on for a long time, but the focus, particularly I think the focus now and the intention of Fink's long-term value creation was to overcome the rise in short-termism that grew among corporations. I can't really focus the timing, but certainly, say, in the last half of the 1900s and first part of the 2000s. And uh, so I don't think corporations were always run that way. There's a history of 
really, I think, corrosive, short-term profit-making under the guise of our job is to always make the most for our shareholders. I think that is eroding and we have some new values. I don't think those are um, transient values. I think they're I think they're here to stay. I will say this though, Frank, I think in order to be a successful business, you do of course have to be thinking of how to sustain. And uh, I, they're thinking about that. That's what management is thinking about all the time really is how we make our profit and keep running. They're not just thinking about today. And um, I think what's different now is we have access to so much information. So you could um, be, you could have child labor in your supply chain a few decades ago and people would never have known. Whereas now if you have some successful company and then you have rampant child labor in the supply chain, that's not going to fly. And so sustainability suddenly has pulled in, uh, in some ways, a concern for people and uh, concern for the earth that wasn't there before, not necessarily because people are nicer or better people, but because it's everybody can see it. And to Debbie's point, this whole focus on responsibility for the conduct of your suppliers is also shifting over time. And it's a significant shift as the responsibility has more and more consequences. So, you know, the projection of sustainability and appropriate conduct and purpose goes downwards into your suppliers but it also goes forward into your customers. And I think in many cases, customer expectations are shifting and influencing corporate behavior to more in the direction of sustainability, CSR, ESG, that whole you know, continuum of, of, uh, of social responses. So Debbie, who is responsible uh, for uh, injecting sustainability into the way a company is run. Is it management's responsibility? Is it the board's responsibility? Is it a shared responsibility? And if shared, how does that balance get struck? Well, I think it can uh, look differently in uh, different organizations, but you need uh, someone who I would say that would uh, be best probably depending on the organization, but in senior management. So have someone whose responsibility it is there. Um, but also, just like the um, many other uh, topics that the board is both overseas and um, is generally conversant, and you need uh, the board to have uh, some or a lot of responsibility in this area, either um, one person who knows a lot about it and is, watch it, is uh, keeping the board focused on it, or a committee. Um, and actually, I should mention with um, organizations, a lot of them, depending on their size um, and the nature of their business, actually do have CSOs, corporate uh, sustainability officers. And so I, I think you can look differently depending, depending, but both board and management um, I need to be involved. I, a couple of years ago, I was uh, lucky enough to be asked to speak uh, at a, the European Union Governance Conference. Um, and m most of the speakers at that conference were from Europe. I was one of the few from the United States. And I got the sense that this topic was much further advanced in the discussion over there and that boards were had their fingers 
much more into the sustainability exercise than U.S. directors. Debbie, is that your impression as well? I would, yeah, I would say so. Now I haven't um, worked professionally with boards um, in Europe, but even just from my experience there, I uh, the countries make have made little changes uh, that go a long way, and they just are part of everyday life. So things that we even basic things that we struggle with here, like not using plastic bags in countries. Um, I uh, grew up in Dublin, Ireland, uh, there, and then over in the UK, um, et cetera. You, you have to buy your plastic bags if you want them. And so nobody uses them. Everybody brings their, uh, their plastic bag, their uh, reusable bags along, et cetera. And so there's all these things that over time they've implemented in Europe that has just has been a focus on sustainability and clean water, et cetera. And um, I think they're definitely making more headway. I'm a member of an organization, Frank, called the International Corporate Governance Network, ICGN. And they, and so they have very much, it's headquartered in the UK, but they have very much a UK European focus. And there's no question in the topics that have been dealt with over the years by ICGN they've been well ahead of us on, you know, recognizing some of these sustainability issues, whether it's environmental or other. And I wanna make a couple of other comments relative to this focus on who's responsible and particularly in the boardroom. One of the sustainability issues, and you can call it the G in governance in ESG, is board composition, which has become a very serious subject and in my view is is very much the responsibility and not yet fully accepted by the board governance committees because board composition really is the responsibility of the governance committees and the reason we're getting legislation on the subject of board composition regulation on the subject of board composition, investor scrutiny of board composition is really because the boards, and in particular, the governance committees, have not done a good job of diversifying the board. And that's a serious focus right now and a serious shortcoming in the ESG world on the part of boards. The other comment I'd make has to do with another board responsibility, and that is for corporate integrity. And again, you've got some significant shortcomings on the port on the part of boards in performing those responsibilities. If you look at, say, the top 50 corporate offenders in this area and the billions of dollars of shareholder value that's been squandered or cost because of poor performance of the boards on the subject of corporate integrity. All you have to think about is is uh, Volkswagen, Wells Fargo. I mean, the list could go on and on and runs into billions of dollars. And in some cases, we've lost companies as a result. And in the case of Enron, for instance, the employees whose pension plans were invested in Enron stock completely lost their value. And so 
boards have a lot to do with integrity, and integrity is central to the issue of sustainability. And frankly, we have a long way to go. So, John, if a business wants to embrace sustainability, what what factors do the board need to consider? Again, I think it starts with purpose to your to your point you made earlier having to do with, you know, is is anything changing? You know, are some of the some of the documents that embrace the governance ecology of a company like the principles of governance? So I think corporate purpose has a big piece of that. I think that the the boards um it's the right way. I'm looking for a white, right way to capture your your question in a response. Yeah, well, let's let's. Uh, I'll drill down a little bit, and maybe focus the question a little bit better. So we're uh, you and I are on a board with Debbie and uh, some other folks, and we've sat around and had a lovely morning discussion about how sustainability needs to become part of the exercise uh, moving forward. Uh, we've decided that that's the kind of business we want to run. Um, what practical changes need to be made, including changes to the rewards and incentive uh, programs for management, changes in compensation metrics, uh, changes in board and re- reporting relationships to the board, for example, with respect to um, compliance, uh, what practical changes are going to get the job done in terms of shifting uh, the focus of management away from running for sure profits to a longer uh, have a longer lens and go for sustainability? Well, all of this starts with corporate strategy, right? Which management really has to articulate along these lines. So they have to be embedded. In these issues that we've been talking about have to be embedded and addressed in strategy, which boards approve. And so if, if we're, you know, there is that saying, if you can't measure it, right, or if it's going to be an objective, there has to be, or a purpose, there has to be metrics around it. So I think as you deal with these subjects, boards have to develop metrics and embed those metrics and the success in achieving those metrics, they have to be embedded in the compensation system. Because we all know that that compensation is a huge factor in behavior. So does it need to be incorporated into the composition and the measurements of success of all of the corporate leaders down to the division leaders? Yes, clearly, if if you're going to really achieve any kind of an impact along the, you know, lines that we've been talking about. Let me make one other quick comment related to that. There is some help coming from outside in terms of that subject. One is shareholder pressure and looking at compensation and performance in according to various metrics. The other is the ratings agencies that award scores for performance and disclosures along the sustainability ESG and CSR continuum. So I think, yes, the the compensation systems and the, and the incentives have to be embedded 
But I also think you're going to find increasing pressure for that from the ratings agencies and shareholders, and in some cases, consumer groups and customers. Frank, I think okay. uh, just from kind of a broad level, if you're really kicking off with something like this, um, you can take a step back and do some of the very basic things like look at obviously what your company does and what um, it, what are the, what are the main resources? What, what's the situation with your people? Do you have a lot of employees? Do you have big supply chains? Do you use a lot of one resource or another? Um, and you start looking at what the risks are and um, about the, um, sometimes it's liability risks, like finding um, stuff in your supply chain. Sometimes it could be disclosure risks. Sometimes it could be um, just a break in your supply chain. What happens if uh, there's another pandemic and you can't get stuff? What if, so you look, you look at the risks and then I think you can also look at the opportunities. I look at some companies like Coca-Cola really based on um, more of a, relations like public relations pressure it um changed its um bottle for kind of a lighter packaging and saved millions and millions since um the early two or the mid uh like the teens 2015 or something um uh, you can look at your opportunities and see what can both be great for the environment using a lot less water etc but actually affect your bottom line and frankly it becomes a bit addictive and then once you get beyond that point, I think it's very, you need to start thinking about uh, talking to companies like SASB and other third parties that could get in there and help you assess actually what's going on in your company and where the risks are and where you can make changes. Thank you for that. Well, we're going to uh, be wrapping up here soon. I wanted to offer just a couple of final thoughts for our listeners. Uh, it seems to me we've spent a little bit of time talking about changing compensation metrics. Uh, but I'd all, I want to offer uh, one observation of my own in that regard. I do think that uh, that's important, but I also think that if you want to change behavior in any company, it's not only important how you compensate, but what you celebrate. And um, if all you celebrate in an organization is increased profits, uh, sooner or later that becomes the message. And so as a board, I think that um, finding a way to communicate to the management team uh, that you want celebration of uh, behaviors that will lead to sustainability goals. I think that's very important. If you'd like to do any further reading, I would recommend to you a great book called The Enlightened Capitalists, Cautionary Tales of Business Pioneers Who Tried to Do Well by Doing Good by Professor James O'Toole. The, the reason I like the book and, and would recommend it to you is that it traces um, the roots of corporate purpose and running companies for the long-term best interests of society and various constituencies all the way back to the late uh, 19th century and chronicles uh, the efforts of many companies uh, who have tried to do well by doing good. Um, and he, the author leads you to draw your own conclusions about whether those kinds of values can succeed uh, in a public company with investors. Uh, he doesn't uh, preach to you in the end, but he does uh, give you a lot of data. And uh, I would commend that book uh, to your reading. For that, I want to thank our two panelists today, John Stout um, and Debbie Cool, for joining us, for sharing their expertise with us. I'd invite you to look out for 
further podcasts in the series. And on behalf of the ABA Governance Committee, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.